what an awesome time. Good morning. That was awesome. Jesus is awesome. Yeah, it's going to be good. i just going to go with what the Lord's kind of given, and I want to start. I say this a lot, but it's important because, um, well, because I'm the one giving this message. <laughs> so it's important to preface this in any time someone ministers that, you know, they're accountable to their own word, right? And I'm not exempt from this word. We are all in a season together corporately as a spiritual family. We're together in this thing. And we are fighting the same fight. We're growing the same growth, right? We're being challenged with the same challenges. There's nothing uncommon in our experience of being established as a local church. We're all going through the same thing. And no one's exempt. You know, I love the passage in Luke chapter 2 where it says of Jesus, instead of Mary, it, it says that a sword would pierce her own soul. Right? That Jesus came to bring a sword of clarity and he was going to divide soul from spirit and separate what's of man and what's of God. Jesus was going to deal with a religious system, ideologies, traditions of men that had barricaded and encroached upon his people, the nation of Israel, right? Jesus was going to come and deal with it, and he was going to separate that. He's going to deal with it with his sword, his word, his truth. And the Bible says his own mom wasn't exempt from that process, right? So no one's exempt I'm not exempt. Mary wasn't exempt. He didn't say, hey, mom, this is for everyone but you. You're my mommy. I love you. You know, Jesus didn't have soulish preferences for his mother in, in the flesh. You know, he came to do what he was going to do, to bring clarity. Anyhow, um, I want to begin. Um, let's see here. We'll look at Ephesians 3 just for a moment. We're, we've been there a lot. We're going to be there a lot more over and over and over again. And I want to just kind of think over these series of messages as this just being, you know, preparing the way of the Lord in our own hearts and lives, our marriages, our families, the church here, preparing the way of the Lord. And there's many ways we can do that. There's many, many ways that that's going to look in require of us. I'm actually going to start in Mark chapter 1. Forgive me. I'm going to turn a big corner back up. Mark chapter 1. We'll start in Mark 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's Jesus' way. Speaking of John the Baptist, who would prepare his way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So John's ministry was to prepare for Jesus to take over as Lord, right? To prepare his way, to prepare a body of people to become Jesus's own possession. A body of people who would become what is the church. Believers in Christ who would subscribe to his lordship and leadership, right? And give their entire lives to his way, his words, his teachings, his ideologies, his value system. In a word, his kingdom, right? Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. John was going to prepare people to come out from either total lostness, right? The Gentile world, not knowing God or not being, quote, accepted by God at that time. And to prepare a religious system for repentance, to turn to Jesus and his ways. That's a pretty serious ministry. And this ministry is very real today in all of our lives. The Holy Spirit is all about this ministry in my life. I don't know about you, but he's all about preparing Jesus's way in my life. He's all about making ready the way of the Lord and making the paths of the Lord straight in my life so that no religious preferences or traditions of my own life and belief systems would get in the way of the straight path of Jesus, right? Because that's what makes things crooked. We, we talk about crooked paths and we just think it's, you know, the the backslidden Christian who's living in immorality and doing drugs and drinking alcohol and the thief and, you know, the liar, you know, the one with, with bad words in their mouth. And we kind of relegate crooked ways to that. Do you ever do that or am I the only one? Okay. Yeah, we do that. But I don't even want to think about that as we talk about this. I want to think about the good, right? The religious spirit, the traditions of men that are very natural to all of us in our weakness and in our humanity, right? Self-righteousness, religious preferences, and opinions, and ideas that maybe have formed my life, my marriage, my family, right? We're getting so nitty-gritty in this community, but it's all unto something very grand, very, not very important, it's unto what's of utmost importance, right? We have chosen, and we have a great privilege as a spiritual family to really aim at what's in the Bible. Are you, are you glad? Are you happy in the midst of the challenge that we aren't just going to church together avoiding three quarters of the New Testament, right? And just talking about the normal things that maybe non-denominational churches talk about? charismatic churches talk about in avoiding three quarters of the teaching of the new testament are you glad that we aren't doing that together i am because because we could be and we may get by right we may get by and have a good time together it but never really undergo true processing corporately and transformation corporately so as we're continuing to meet together and visit and revisit again and again and again teaching of the apostles and of Jesus as to what church looked like and is to look like at its foundation anyhow, because things change, right? Time changes. We're in 2021, almost 22, right? We're not in 
the year 10 AD, <laughs> 30 AD, 90 AD, the early church. I get that. We're not there. But at its foundation, right, the church will is to look the same. And so if Jesus is bringing the church globally to maturity, right, and perfecting his people in love and faith, in truth, if that's really happening, we can have confidence that if we're looking at the plan and the process and the way there, that we're going to get there, that we can come to maturity in this region. We could be a church regardless of numbers that actually comes to fullness and maturity in this age as much as is available in Ephesians 4, maturity, fullness in this age, and express something that's not of man express something that religion and tradition can only quench. Thus, the reason Jesus never apologized to challenge a Gentile or a Jew, a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Jesus never apologized. You know, I apologize a lot because I don't want to be that guy giving the harsh word and everyone's like, whoa, he's mean. That's not my heart at all. You know, if if it's if it's that way i mean i don't know how i'd stand before john and jesus or paul and peter how i mean some of the things we find a way around that they didn't because they understood the power behind the truth and godliness and the gospel and the teaching they understood it they weren't ashamed of this gospel the bible says i'll be honest last night and yesterday as i'm just preparing some of these messages and this is a big introduction today i guess at this point but as I'm preparing this stuff, I'm saying, man, I'm timid. And I'd have to be honest, that's a form of being ashamed of the gospel. If I have the fear of man in me and I'm afraid to say what they wrote for us, come on. God's searching my own heart. He's dealing with my own soul. The sword, Joseph, you're not being spared. I love you. I'm going to divide your soul from your spirit, son. I'm going to deal with you as a father does a son so I can bring you to maturity and purity and honesty and truthfulness so there's no guile left in you, no pretense, no hypocrisy left in your life, no pretending, no fearing man, but that you are in agreement with my truth and my teaching and can become useful to me, right? That's, those are the, that's how we become useful if we can handle this thing unapologetically, unashamedly. So I'm just being searched by the Lord as I'm preparing this. But Ephesians 3, Romans 16, two places Paul mentions the plan of God for the church. You step back again and read Ephesians 3, which I do constantly, right? Pastor Tom's always mentioning Ephesians 3. Maybe you're always looking at it, but we have to look at it as we're being established over and over. So I'm going to turn there real quick, make a few comments and continue. So Ephesians 3. Okay. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. We'll begin in verse 8. Paul's mission to proclaim to the nations the unending, boundless, fathomless, incalculable, exhaustless riches of Christ, wealth which no human being could have searched out. 
wealth which no human being could have ever searched out, right? The mind of man cannot comprehend this thing of itself. We need revelation of the plan of God. Also, his mission was to enlighten all men and make plain to them. What is the plan? Wow. Make plain, understandable, practical. What is the plan regarding the Gentiles, the nations, and providing the salvation of all men? The mystery kept hidden through the ages and concealed. Until now, everyone say until now, because this is why it's like, come on, like if there's boredom in my life, if, if I'm what Wesley was addressing this, what the Holy Spirit was addressing this morning, did you feel the, this until now, meaning we live in an era of human history, right? We live in the age of the church that Jesus is building. And now in this age, what was kept secret? in the eternal past of, of God, before Genesis 1, the plan of God for forming man of dust and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and forming a woman from his rib and joining them and declaring them to be one flesh and giving them authority and dominion over his creation. That plan that was kept secret, that Adam and Eve didn't know, God gave little samples and future pictures of it, right? Beginning with Abel and the shedding of the animal and the offering of the animal, the Messiah who would come as the Lamb of God and take away the sin of the world. So the plan that at that time was secret could be realized and unfolded in the new humanity, the new Adam and Eve, Christ and the church. Think about that. Because I am. I'm revisiting Ephesians 3. We've talked about it for months. We can't get away from this. The plan of God has now been revealed through the apostles and prophets in the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. First century church, it was revealed. And documented by faithful men and women who wrote it down by the sovereign preservation of God so that you and I could know the plan, <laughs> so we don't have to live in a religious system? Do you understand we have an option? We have a choice? And in the generation that Jesus first came to, they had no choice or option. They were under religious slavery. They were bound by the traditions of men and the wisdom of man and the ideas of men that were creating culture, right? That's all they knew. And John the Baptist comes, prepares the way for Jesus to come in the first words out of Jesus' mouth. In Mark chapter 1, you read down a few more verses, was repent and believe in this gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent the kingdoms here. I know you got religious strongholds and systems all over your known world. Right? I know you love your traditions more than my word, but now my kingdom's here, and unless you change your entire understanding of the word that you boast in, unless, you, unless you're willing to bend your whole life toward what I have to say and my interpretation of what you've misinterpreted, 
right? Unless you can bend your life to that in my grace and say yes in obedience and faith and love for me, you can't even enter this kingdom. And Jesus isn't soulish about the kingdom. It's not a prayer, right? You can, it's not just a prayer. I get it. We're saved by confessing and believing. And maybe, I know I said a prayer when I got saved. So I'm not saying it's, it's not the prayer. But that is not the end game, right? This idea of repentance and being changed and bending our lives toward the kingdom and the teaching of the apostles and Christ himself is serious business. And so it'll never end in this age. Until Jesus comes, what's going to bring us to maturity is this thing called repentance, right? This continual, John the Baptist's message was um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? Meaning it's not, a, it's, not, it's not a prayer of repentance that changes your whole life and brings you to maturity. It's not magic. It's processing. It's, it's bending your life, being willing to let go of your current understanding of Christianity if it's not according to the scriptures. Being humble enough to say, I've not thought right about this. I've not felt right about this. I've, not, I've misinterpreted this. I've omitted three quarters of the New Testament. Uh, last week, we heard from Stephanie, and something she said struck me so hard, honestly. And more so in the past than now, I say that with a sincere conscience, but as a young zealot in the Lord 20 years ago, I was purely a, um, what did she say? The um, spirit, just raw spiritualism. What, what did she, the, the name for it? Forgive me. Does anybody know? Anybody remember? All right. Anyway, the opposite of cessationism. She, she talked about it. We are, we are at risk of becoming something. Gnosticism. Thank you, Stu. Gnostic. So Gnosticism, yeah, basing your, your Christianity on spiritual senses or dreams or visions or spiritual experiences or even just gifts of the Holy Spirit. When she said that, I'm like, oh, my God, thank you for the culture of youth storm and the crossing and kind of what I cut my teeth on because I don't know how they put up with me, but if it wasn't for being part of a community that takes the word, right, as serious as it must be taken, I was a pure Gnostic. I was omitting most of the Bible, right, to follow Jesus, to be led by the Spirit. <laughs> so, and it, it's frightening at first glance. If you're in a uh, sound doctrine group, you know, and you're looking at this, at first glance, if you're going to take the Bible as serious as it must be taken, it's probably going to feel very legalistic, very invasive, very intellectual, like, oh man, this is so heady. I, I don't feel the spirit on this. This is invasive, meaning it's getting in my life and my business. It's calling me to account before God. 
right? Or this is really legalistic. I mean, I don't know about this. Do we really have to take this whole marriage thing? Is this, is this really God's design? I mean, my wife and I get along well, and we'll just leave it there. Do we, do we really need to, like, think through ordering our lives according to this? And if so, why? Why do we really need to take this so seriously? And here's a couple of things that the Lord is going to sift his people from, is, is taking church and his word as a common thing. Number one, meaning, eh, it's just church. I mean, Joe, come on, it's just church. Like, let's just high five, have fun, read some Bible, sing some songs. I mean, don't take it that serious. It's just church. That's called treating church as a common thing, not a holy thing, right? And the other thing would be treating church and his word as a vain thing, meaning a self-serving thing. Meaning I go to church for me and that's about it. I'm not interested in this corporate thing. You know, and I don't really need to think corporately, even though I'm part of a local church because I'm, I'm kind of in, but not really. And I don't really want to be known because I don't trust people or want to trust people. Right. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying, guys, this is all of our story. <laughs> this stuff's real. And it, it gets unraveled and we get vulnerable and all of this stuff comes to light. Right. In community together. And it, it is time, dedication, commitment, and love for one another, and love for Jesus and his plan. So in this journey together of being established as a local church, let us not lose heart and grow weary in well-doing, right? Because at the proper time, we'll reap a reward together, right? Because this even, even looking at the Bible could become rote tradition religion if you aren't being filled with the Spirit. If you aren't giving yourself to the Lord in your own secret private life and we just go to groups and we just go to church together and no one really seeks God outside the four walls of the church, guess what? This will become bondage. This will beset you rather than be a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. This will become heavy if you don't know Holy Spirit and if you don't know one another. Because we cheer one another on. We're running the same race together. It's a grace race. And I need you to partake of grace. The Bible says we're partakers of grace. We're partakers of a heavenly calling. We together are. It's not, it's not my own Christianity and no one else's. This isn't my life and no one else's. This isn't my life and just Jesus' life. Joseph, this is my life and your life. Thus, the reason I need this to search me and find me out so I can matter to you in honesty, in purity, that my life could grace you, right? And vice versa. Amen. So just, just paradigm stuff. You look at this in Ephesians 3, 9, and 10. Well, let's finish. That was a big detour. So the plan was concealed until now. In verse 10, he calls it the purpose. The purpose or plan is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects. Wow. Infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities. 
Unbelievable. Incomprehensible. Principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. My God. So the most practical teaching of the apostles, which is what we are all digging into as cultural reality in this church, the most practical teaching of the apostles is of such utmost importance because it's connected to the most spiritual dimension of the church, right? The, the ordering of our lives according to the scripture that feels, again, at times maybe legalistic, unnecessary, well, things have changed, my life's good as it is, I don't really need to do this whole thing here, right? We do, because it's the order of the Lord to the apostles so that verse 10 can happen before Jesus comes, right? That God, through the church, un, when the church comes to maturity, and even just be, as we begin to grow into maturity, more and more of this wisdom of God, his image and likeness, right, can be expressed through us, that something the natural eye cannot see, something the, the senses can't even grasp, Something beyond man. And again, Jesus and John the Baptist begin their ministry talking about this issue of preparing the way of the Lord and repentance, meaning met metanoia is the, the Greek word, I believe. Metanoia, which is the total change and reorchestration of your mindset to enter his kingdom. Jesus dealt with it so strongly because it's what quenches the kingdom. Jesus in Matthew 23 says of religious ways, ideologies, traditions of men, he says to the Pharisees, he says, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from those who are trying to enter. Could you imagine being one of those ministers? Could you imagine shutting off the kingdom of heaven to those who are trying to enter? And then he says, those who are getting in, you don't allow to stay in. That's crazy. That's intense. And listen, I don't, I don't want to think I need to hear that, but I'm willing to hear it, right? But what I'm getting at is we're going to talk about some of this stuff in the Word. What does, what does religious strongholds look like? What do the traditions of men look like? And what's the result? Versus what does God's plan look like? What is the practical outlay of life according to Jesus? And what are the results of that way of life? Is verse 10 of Ephesians 3. We actually begin to enter into the eternal purpose of God. And the religious spirit and the traditions of men have a voice. And they will say to you, uh, that's super spiritual. Just settle down. Eternal purpose, really, here and now? I mean, we're just going to church together, and maybe someday he's going to return, and this whole super spiritual angelic authorities, the, the religious spirit wants you to roll your eyes at that verse. The traditions of men, right, would scoff at stuff like this because it's, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's thinking we got it figured out and wanting our own way and the way we've always had, right? And Jesus says, I have a way, and it has tremendous results. Take me up on it. Trust me. Walk with me. Stay in this. Get, get grounded. Be established together. Culturally established. 
How much time do I have? 10 minutes or so? We good? Okay. So that's just a brief overview. So Jesus and John and the apostles through and through the New Testament, you see them exposing and explaining religion and the traditions of men and giving a call to turn, (laughs) enter my kingdom. God has a kingdom. God has a way, and it's the way. And it was revealed in Jesus, who is the way, the truth. He's the life. So we're going to prepare our hearts just to continue to abide in this on a heart level. Wednesday nights or whatever night your group is. To to give ourselves to grasp this. To allow the Holy Spirit to search us out. Don't, Don't go through an establishing process of a local church and be unchanged. Don't do that to yourself. Joseph, don't do that to yourself, right? Don't do that. I don't want to do that. Then I'd, then I'd see others transformed and changed and feel like I'm just a spectator. Like I watched something happen that I was really invited into, but due to maybe traditions or religious thought systems, I didn't fully enter because I'd rather just keep things the way they've been. It's easier, it's safer, it's less costly, it's more comfortable. Have you ever thought that way? That's normal. Of course you have. We're flesh and blood. (laughs) Trick question. Yes, you've thought that way. Uh, You know, it's amazing that in Christ is no condemnation, so why fear honesty? Religious spirit that doesn't know God fears honesty because if it connects with honesty, it has to bear the burden. And Paul says that's the world that doesn't know God is that when they encounter their sin and error, they have to put on face and play like it's not happening because if they admit it's happening without Christ, they will live under guilt and condemnation. It is. And my wife and I were talking about this this morning. Do you know that in Jesus, I get to be so brutally honest? And that Paul says, if you are brutally honest as a Christian, that there's no regret that remains in your soul. You actually get free from regret when you admit stuff and confess stuff. He says, there's no sorrow that remains on your life in Christ when you repent, because guess what he does? He's the Lamb of God who takes away. He removes, he expiates. Sin, unrighteousness, right? And again, don't relegate sin to immorality, drunkenness, theft, lying, and bad words. (laughs) Don't relegate it to that. There's many forms. Awesome. I want to turn to Romans 16 real quick. And a lot of this is going to be recap. It's, we're we're going to hear stuff a million times over throughout the years together, right? There's no new message. It's the same message instituted in the first century church that we are revisiting every day of our lives. Romans 16, verse 25, in the Amplified, what a promise. You look at this plan of God we're digging into as a community, and you look at Ephesians 3 and you start connecting with it on a heart level, you're going to say, oh my God, how is this even possible? (laughs) 
Look at the way things have been. Look at the way my marriage has been. Look at the way my family's been. Look at the way church has been. Look at the way this region has been, right? You start asking those questions like, how could this even possibly take place? And here's a promise right here, Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in the faith. That's why it can happen. Because of him who is able. We can't do this. We can't conjure up enough wisdom, strength, and might to pull this thing off. Christianity can't be pulled off. Right? It's born of God. And what's born of God overcomes the world. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Not you, not me. He's not the author and you finish this thing. Right? He's the author and finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's able to, to establish you in the faith. Yes, corporately, together. Which is according to the gospel in the preaching concerning Jesus Christ, the Messiah, according to the revelation and unveiling of the mystery of the plan. So Paul uh, repeats himself here in Romans according to the revelation of the plan of redemption. Think about that. This plan we're giving ourselves to is the plan of redemption, salvation, right? The recovery of everything that was lost due to sin and religion, tradition. It's a new and living way that Jesus opened up for us through the veil of his flesh. He rent the veil of his flesh he was brutalized at the cross to offer you and I a new and living way, not a religious or traditional way, not another set of rules and regulations that are a good idea and just another option. No, he came to bring the final way of life, of eternal life, of salvation, the plan of redemption. It's amazing. And again, verse 26, it's now disclosed in this age. We have access right here, right now. Amen. Um, wow. Yeah, I guess I'll just continue with the intro because we're not going to get to the message. I want to just share a few things that I've just written down here, something for you to, you know, consider. Some things I'm hearing the Lord say to myself and for us to be willing to hear and some questions to ask, right? Because if I'm not willing to get really honest and ask deep questions about my own life, I will remain unchanged. You can, I can promise you that. I can promise you I'll be the same man in 12 months standing here unless and until I'm willing to take this thing like James chapter 3 says, James chapter 2, and look at it as a mirror, right, and analyze my life and allow the word to analyze my life, not religion. I'm not talking this scolding, frowning God with a crooked finger pointing at you and pointing every bad thing out about your life. That's not the proper analysis, but allowing this to reveal my life to me so I can be honest and come into agreement with God in his way, his plan. So we need to be willing to ask questions, and, and as we teach on some of this, is any of this in my life? And if so, jot it down. Take God serious about it. 
There's so much grace available to the humble heart. That's what James promises you and I. He says, you want to access the grace of God for a changed and transformed life? Take the word serious. Let the truth deal with you. Admit things. Confess things. Yeah, a lot of this I already touched, but... Amen. Well, I think I'll do one thing here before we close, and then next week we'll continue. Um, I'll just do this this week. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11 real quick. 1 Corinthians 11. Because this issue is really a big piece of what we're getting at, right? And in America... This is very real, and in probably all nations, this verse is very real. But especially in America, this is very real. We could all probably agree. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Oh, no, forgive me. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Okay. So this was happening in the first century church. This is culturally, right? There were attempts of the enemy and false apostles, false teachers, false prophets. And Paul says, verse 3, to the church of Corinth... He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received from us, or a different gospel which you have not accepted in the, the references from us. So there was this counterfeit message, a counterfeit Jesus, right? A counterfeit way of doing things, a counterfeit Holy Spirit that was always trying to knock on the door of the authentic and get in the way and shut the kingdom down and shut off the new and living way from God's people. So this is the age-old dilemma and battle for believers. It's still here today, and these things creep in. That's what the apostles said over and over. This stuff creeps in at times unnoticed, he says. It takes discernment. And so, though right now we're not dealing with false apostles, prophets, and teachers, we may be dealing with the false mindsets that are produced by false teaching, which is, again, why we're asking questions, going deep, getting real and honest, to be ridded of these things culturally. So 1 Corinthians 11 would indicate, this is striking to think this way, and we'll end on this note, is that in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And I've been thinking about those five words so often. I will build my church. That's holy. 
That's not a common thing. That's not a vain thing. He says, I'm going to build my church for your highest good and my highest glory. He says, I have a plan that I'm going to unfold in everyone who believes in me if they're willing. I'm going to call them into this new and living way. I've got a plan. I'm going to build them into my church, my ruling body. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that church, the church that he builds. And in 2 Corinthians 11, here's the striking thing, and you see it everywhere today. And I'm just referencing America because we, I know it more well. 2 Corinthians 11, you see a church, a Christianity, a Jesus, a Holy Spirit that is counterfeit, that is not God, a way that is not of Jesus. And it's not according to godliness. It's not according to his plan to his design for our highest good as believers, right? And so you look at these two things, and Jesus says, I'm building a church, and the enemy is also trying to build a counterfeit church. And, you know, this, this is, it's really not debatable, but people are like, eh, you know, this whole, you know, uh, false Christianity thing and false church and the bride and the harlot, and, you know, people kind of oftentimes roll their eyes at that or just kind of turn the next page right? Because it seems so super spiritual. Listen, if you look around for the next 30 days in America, you will see how practical that really is. It's not super spiritual. It's happened. It's already happened. There's already a counterfeit dynamic in society today that is naming Jesus' name and omitting scripture right? That is claiming all the promises of the Bible and not obeying Jesus, right? That is endorsing and promoting immorality in the church in various ways, varied forms. I don't need to go into detail. We see it. It's being approved of, celebrated, endorsed, and there's no condemnation. Jesus came to seek and save what's lost, but he doesn't seek and save at the expense of his word. He's exalted his word above his own name. His word will stand forever. All flesh is like grass. But the word of God, back to the Gnosticism thing, this stands forever. This is the barometer and the revealer of the church, the true church, right? And that which isn't true. But we are in a battle in this hour, right, with what's true and what's counterfeit. What's holy? What's profane? What's of God? What's of man? And differentiating between them requires such honesty and willingness to repent, right? And again, don't think about these big, huge sins we all talk about and shriek from. Think about truthfulness. Am I, am I living truthful? Do I want to live truthful? Am I allowing this to search me out and reorchestrate my entire way of thinking and being? Or am I saving my life and am I just going to lose it? Not that I lose my salvation, but I lose this life to become his, completely his. I waste my whole life holding on to my own way, my own comforts, preferences, and ideas. That's what Jesus means. Don't save your life. Joseph, don't save your life. Lose it for my sake. Become holy mine. Be consecrated. Be set apart unto me in the smallest of ways. Right? Because the, the danger is we get rid of all the big things in our life that are obvious and the things that aren't so obvious that require discernment 
and community. Right? How about this? Let me get really real. Because this actually happened. And because of community and relationship and trust and love and knowing the heart, and most of us in this room are pretty well that close, but I trust and know Tom well enough, right? Hopefully vice versa. And if not, we'll get there. But what do I want? Do I, do I want to be challenged? Do I want to grow? Am I willing? If I, if I have dealt with the bigger things in my life that were obvious, maybe to me and everyone, right? And there's smaller things that aren't so public, right? That aren't so noticeable by the natural eye, but the Holy Spirit sees it. And because God loves me, he's going to bring me forth in love. And he never loves me at the expense of truth. He loves me according to truth. So he's going to get truthful with me, right? And Tom has asked me some questions. I was seeking the Lord about some things when my back injury came, right? And I had to do some business. And, and I do believe there were some things in my heart that were unnoticed, even to me, in part, where I just kind of looked over and said, ah, it's really not that big of a deal. And the Lord just showed me, like, there's some anger and bitterness in my soul, and it's affecting my life and other lives, <laughs> right? And I needed some repentance in that. You know, I was harboring some things in my heart, but that's what community peace is. The Holy Spirit can talk to me, and he'll talk to you. But then there's times the Holy Spirit can still talk to me. But can I hear that? Can I hear the Spirit in that fashion? And that's a question I'll leave us with today is, now, I'm not inferring that you're going to get asked all kinds of deep questions by anyone here. I'm just using it as an example of why community life and saying yes together to God's design is so important. Because I need that. And at some time, maybe he'll need it. I don't know. Maybe you'll need it. We all need it at times. Deep honesty with one another. Amen. So this was just an overview today. And we'll go a little deeper in the next few weeks. Amen. Yeah, guys, this is so good. Um, I'm excited for this little series here. And just, yeah, I just want to end by just saying to, really do some self-evaluation this week. I know I'm going to. I was This week, uh, Philippians 2, verse 12, I'll just read it real quick, has been really just hitting me. Um, and we all know the scripture. It says, so then, this is Paul speaking to the Philippians. He says, so then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, this is the Amplified also, um, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, so they weren't just trying to put on a good face when Paul was around. They're saying, he's saying, also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation that is cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. I just I just love that. I thought I'd throw that in there um, just because that's something that's, I love that, just critical self-evaluation and like where where do we want to go, like individually and a, and a corporate people. Like this is a community thing, as Joe said. So 
Um, yeah. Encourage everyone to re-listen to this. This is good stuff. Um, so yeah, Father, we just thank you for today and everything you did, Lord. Your spirit clearly moved in our midst once again, and and it was just beautiful. And we just um I just pray that this week we would uh evaluate our own lives and and uh just dig deeper, Lord, pursuing spiritual maturity uh individually and and corporately, God. So we thank you for all you're doing in our midst. I just pray for each one that was absent today, God. I pray that you just touch them, um, inspire them today, God, in Jesus' name. And we love you, Holy Spirit. Amen.